0: It's the bottom line. On News Radio 610, KONA, from the Tri Cities to Olympia to DC, we break, down the, break down the stories of the day and the people making the news.
1: And that's the bottom line.
0: Time to get the bottom line. Presented by McCary Meets in Basin City with your hosts, Rob Francis and Ed Dawson. Another reason for discussing a change in sentencing guidelines in Washington State. And
2: Bob Ferguson lost his first lawsuit against the Trump administration, and it's a biggie. And are we
3: getting closer to a showdown with Iran? But first,
0: give us your bottom line. It's your voice, your show. Call the legendscasino.com hotline, 509 547 1610.
3: Thursday's bottom line, News Radio 610 KONA. Robin Ed with you, 547 1610 to get involved via email at our website, 610KONA.com. Bottom line page, name where you're listening, what you'd like to say. And on Twitter at Bottom Line 610 we are three. Thrilled to welcome to the program. Uh, The only way to describe this man is a true American hero. Mark Geist, uh, who was a member of the Annex security team in Benghazi, September 11th and 12th in 2012, involved in the Battle of the Benghazi, uh, former U.S. Marine as well as a a deputy sheriff, a police chief, plenty of years involved uh, in public service, service to his country, service to his community. Mr. Geist, thank you for taking the time to join us today. We appreciate it.
1: Hey, it's a great day to be there. Great day to be on.
3: Thank you very much. Now you will be the keynote speaker coming up June twenty eighth uh, at the Benton County Lincoln Day Dinner uh, at the Red Lion in Pasco. Uh, let me ask you this quickly because there are a lot of people that serve in the military that I guess don't necessarily um, identify one way or the other with 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 a thought process. Did you have one before your experiences in Benghazi? Uh, Because we know how the government responded to what happened there. Or uh, was it something that for you that you kind of you've always had is is, is leaning a little bit more towards a a conservative philosophy?
1: Well, I was uh, born and raised in eastern Colorado in a small town. Uh, There's probably more churches in town than there are uh, anything else. Uh, So, yeah, it's a, you know, I've always had a, a pretty conservative view on most everything. Um, but, uh, you know, and then going in the military, it's really hard to understand how anybody that's in the military would have too much of uh other than a kind of conservative uh, view, or at least conservative leaning just because, you know, history kind of shows us that most of the pay raises, the military's got most of the, uh, um, infrastructure and advancements that we've made are all during, the. Uh, um, you know, Republican administration.
3: Now, what was it that led you to join the Marines in the early 1980s?
1: Like, um, you know, on my mother's side of the family, um, we have a long history of serving this country. My grandfather was a tank commander in World War II. Um, he was really kind of my hero. Uh, he had five Purple Hearts, uh, Silver Star, Bronze Star, fought in North Africa, um, fought at the Battle of the Bulge, um, and stayed actually through the, uh, um, the whole war and stayed at the occupation of Germany afterwards before he came back. And that's he uh, retired out of the military, out of the army and at Fort Carson. And that's where my grandmother and him, uh, met.
3: Now at what point in time did you decide when you were in the Marines to change your specialty to intelligence?
1: Um, you know, it was, uh, about halfway through it. I did 12 years in the Marine Corps and, uh, you know, halfway through, I, uh, I'd i done about six, and I decided that I wanted to uh, advance into something else. Um, I always enjoyed the intelligence field um, and was kind of am- am- enamored by it. So uh, I didn't even know I'd taken the test during boot camp, but it's called the D-Lab, so it tells your ability to learn languages, and uh, I guess I scored pretty high on it, and... Uh, was able to make that move into the intelligence field.
3: Now, of course, not long after that, um, you know, one of the languages you learned was was Farsi, which certainly uh, comes in very handy when you're dealing in a number of Middle Eastern countries. What was the attraction to you for you to uh, to the Middle East uh, specifically uh, when you began your work in Iraq?
1: Well, you know, and when I got, um, I was really uh, looking for to go to language school for Chinese. Um, I thought China would be our next biggest threat at the time. So I was really hoping for that. Um, You know, I spent a good portion of my life studying martial arts and things like that. So I was was always, uh, and a good portion of my first part of my military career was in the Far East. So I'd always had, uh, um, you know, a desire to learn that language, uh, you know, Chinese. And again, because I thought the threat was there. And really how that changed is I was waiting for a language. Uh, a slot to go to language school and there a, a slot had came open because another individual was unable to make a slot that was for Persian Farsi. And they asked if there was anybody who wanted to volunteer. And um, I was the first one to raise my hand because for me, it was more about uh, getting the language because I'd already had been through uh, interrogation school. And once I got my language certifications, um, then I could start deploying and going overseas. So my whole thing was about getting uh you know, getting overseas and getting up into the mess of things.
3: We're talking with Mark Geist. You may also uh, be familiar with him through his codename, Oz, who was involved in the Battle of Benghazi in Libya in 2012. Mark will be the keynote speaker Friday night, June 28th, next Friday night at the Benton County Lincoln Day Dinner in Pasco at the Red Lion. Tickets available at BentonCountyGOP.com. He's also the co-author of the book 13 Hours, which was made into a major motion picture. Many that have, have seen that picture read the book. So let's talk about those two days, Mark, if, if you wouldn't mind. At that point in time, you had left the Marines. You were part of the annex security team. Tell us a little bit about your first notification as to what was going on in the attack on the embassy.
1: Well, and uh, so, you know, we weren't going to be doing much that day because it was 9 11, you know, and um, we as members of GRS. You know, we're there because it's a bad, it's usually a bad situation. It's dangerous situations. and That's why they have us there. Um, Basically, I'm a bodyguard for uh, American spies, making sure that they can get where they need to go and get home um, safely, both back to the base or like the there, back to the annex, and also back home to their families. Um, So, but sometime during that early evening, uh, me and a female case officer, we had... uh, had to go out in town. I guess I'll call it a dinner date. We had a dinner date with a local Libyan couple, and uh, we went out in town, and um, about halfway through that, two, two-thirds of the way through it, I got a phone call from Tyrone Woods, or his call sign's Roan, and Roan uh, um, gave me a call and said that, uh, hey, you need to get back to the annex and stay away from the consulate. And so I just had to get um, the young lady that I was with had to get her back traveling through a city that really kind of had blown up into this uh, attack on the consulate. And no telling where it was, you know, the thing going through my head is no telling where it's going to be and how far it's going to spread out through this this city. So um, it's pretty much just trying to make our way back to there, me and this uh, young female case officer.
3: Now, Mark, at what point when when you and the rest of your team – Became involved in what was happening. Were, were the were fatalities already reported, or were you guys involved right before uh, two two of the servicemen involved lost their lives?
1: Well, uh, the, the two service members and they, they weren't active duty service members. They were private security contractors, as I was um, also working for uh, GRS or Global Response Staff, and that was Tyrone Woods who was part of our team in Benghazi, and Glenn Doherty, his call sign was Bub, and Glenn was with our sister team that was up in Tripoli, who had um, made it down at about 5 o'clock in the morning from Tripoli to uh, Benghazi. Uh, So initially it was just the six of us that were security there um, on our team, and while I was making my way back, uh, you know, they had made the decision after being told to stand down a couple times, to go over and uh, and make a difference in somebody's life. Make sure that these Americans that were under attack got home.
3: We're talking to Mark Ozgeist, a member of the annex security team involved in the Battle of Benghazi in 2012. Mark, also the author of the book 13 Hours, which was turned into a major motion picture. He'll be the keynote speaker Friday, June 28th at the Benton County Lincoln Day Dinner at the Pasco Red Lion. Uh, Mark, When, I mean, I'm sure it was absolute, utter chaos. Um, Are you able to describe a little bit for us of what you went into and and how you managed to even begin to try and get a sense of direction with everything going on?
1: Well, you know, and uh, so while I was coming back with the female case officer, the rest of the team had left and went over to the consulate um, to secure that facility. And, you know, roughly there was it had been overran by about 40 armed insurgents. Um, by the time I got over there, they had secured most of that. They had defended against a couple uh, counter assaults and they had made their way back to the annex. And, you know, um, without giving out too much, because I want everybody to come down, uh, you know, to Pasco and uh, hear the story firsthand. But, you know, it was. It was chaos, but, you know, and I don't know if it's just the way we operate. You know, that chaos turns into something, uh, you know, what you got to do then is just you got to be the calm in that chaos. You got to slow down, analyze everything that's coming at you because there's, you know, I call it task saturation. Uh, You're getting saturated with various tasks that are coming at you, whether it's being enemy shooting at you or, you know, flanking movements or whatever's going on, and you have to identify what's happening, deal with that situation, and then move to the next. And, you know, we couldn't have done what we done that night. With You know, it took a couple things, and it took, uh, you know, the training that we had, the experience that we had as operators on the ground, but most of all, it took, uh, you know, uh, I call it the seventh man on our team, which was uh, the Lord up above. We couldn't have done what we did if it hadn't been for uh, – his involvement and him looking over, looking out
3: for us. Mark, you're down there, you're involved. You're obviously gaining information while you're down there, seeing everything that's going on. What was the reaction of you and your team when you heard the first explanations from the state department about what happened with the attack on the embassy?
1: You know, for me, I was in, I was, when I first heard it, I was laid up in a hospital in uh, Germany um You know, I'd gotten injured pretty bad. Um, If you've seen the movie, you know, obviously anybody seen that has uh, saw what happened to my arm. But you know, the thing they didn't depict in the movie is the other twenty-some odd holes I had in me. Um, Most of them weren't uh, squirting. Is kind of how I put it. If it's not squirting, I'm not too worried about it. If it's just oozing blood, you can live with it. Um, You start to you stop the ones that are really bleeding a lot, and uh, you just move on and. You know, my worry then was really more about just getting uh, getting healed and getting back to see my family because I didn't know how soon I could see them. I didn't know if they had been informed that I was alive or anything at that point. So that's where my focus was.
3: Now, we, we know that after not long after the incident, there was a lot of, uh, of comments coming from you, from Chris Peronto, uh, a number of guys involved down there that, that wanted to do everything you could to set the record straight that what the State Department was saying regarding the incident was not actually what happened. It wasn't what led to it. Um, tell me a little bit about that that battle and trying to set the record straight.
1: Well, you know, and um, every time you turned around, you were getting stonewalled. Uh, you know, I I wanted to tell the story. I wanted we all wanted to tell the story, but we wanted to do it in the right way to make sure that uh, you know it got cleared through the right channels and everything like that. So when we um, started that out. We had already submitted, or I had submitted about five pages of what I wanted to talk about. And as we went through the process of writing the book, we submitted it for review. Uh, you know, and they delayed and delayed. It took them, I don't know, nine nine to twelve months before they read four hundred pages um, of you know of that. And I figured, you know, most of them are all college college educated, college grad lawyers. I figured they could read faster than that. But uh, you know, I think that I think all that was was delaying tactics to eliminate us or at least try to push it out as far as it could. But um, we we just stayed kind of like in Benghazi. We were tenacious about it. We wanted this, the story to be told, the truth to be out there. And it wasn't about the politics. I mean, anybody who's read the book or even seen the movie, we don't get into the politics of it. This is a personal interest story about six Americans who had overcome tremendous odds. And it all happened because the glory of the Lord and the training and um, tenacity that our war fighters that serve this country have.
3: We're talking with Mark Ozgeist, the member of the Annex security team involved in the Battle of Benghazi. Uh, September 11th and 12th in 2012. Mark, the co-author of the book, 13 Hours, also uh, made into a major motion picture. He'll be the keynote speaker Friday, June 28th at the Benton County Lincoln Day Dinner at the Pasco Red Line. Tickets are available at BentonCountyGOP.com. Mark, right now you're up in Canada. Talk to us a little bit about uh, what you're you're doing up in Canada and uh, another individual that uh, maybe our audience might be familiar with that you're spending some time with.
1: Um, well, what we're doing up here is that, so, and it kind of falls back into if anybody's followed me on Facebook or social media. Last weekend, I received a surprise, uh, which was given to me by a, two groups uh, that it came together, um, which was Baden canines who are stationed um, or are housed up here in Canada. And that's where we're at at their facility where they uh, raise and train the best canines in the world. Um, and Special Operations Wounded Warrior, which is a nonprofit that's based out of Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. They had uh, contacted my wife and through our nonprofit, which is called Shadow Warriors Project, um, to arrange this surprise for me, and um, I had received a dog from them last weekend, and we're up here now partnering all of us again together, but also with Cy Robertson and Marsha and Scott, and which, uh, Scott, that's the son and son or son and daughter in law of Cy, and uh, their grandkids or Cy's grandkids are up there as well. And we're all coming together with a bunch of other vets, um, one to, uh, work with dogs, to praise the Lord and have fellowship. And, you know, a lot of it's about just guys getting together that have been in the mix, maybe some of us too long, and just kind of that fellowship getting through. Um, some of the struggles that all of uh, veterans have, and you know, I'm a firm believer, and it's what draws me to these people as well, and them to me is that uh, if you want to overcome some of the battles that you've uh, that you fight when you get home from uh, being in conflict, uh, you got to start it with a relationship with the Lord, and that's the most important thing.
3: Mark, what's one thing you'd like to leave with our listeners? Um so that they will be um uh, even more excited to come out and see you friday 28th friday june 28th and hear you speak at the benton county lincoln day dinner
1: well you know if anybody out there uh one wants to support uh the republican party and what it's doing uh because that is what is really these last two years with who we have as our president and has made this country what it is and it's uh that's what this is all about is keeping this country one the values that we were all raised born and raised with the values that uh, this country was established on and that's what this uh the event is in pasco is all about that the lincoln day dinner so celebrating civil rights through somebody like the former president lincoln and that's why they're based on that um as well as what we have now i mean in uh my dog, whose name's Roan, based off, is named after Tyrone Woods, who died next to me, uh, will be with me there. And uh, we're going to also do some, uh, probably do some autographs, things like that. And uh, you can have a little meet and greet and see Roan as well. But uh, it's about keeping our country heading in the right direction. It's about making sure that the values that this country was stand on, that was founded on, continue to be what leads this country to become the greatest, what led it to become the greatest country in the world and will continue to be the greatest country in the world.
3: Mark Geist, thank you for your service to the country. Thank you for your heroism in Benghazi. More than two dozen lives saved with your help during that attack co-author of the book 13 hours keynote speaker at the benton county lincoln day dinner friday june 28th at the pasco red line we thank you very much for taking a break out of your busy schedule up there in canada and joining us on the program we look forward to seeing you next week
1: hey looking forward to it i uh, hope everybody comes out and gets tickets and uh i'm looking forward to meeting everybody up there in uh washington state so uh come out and join us god bless you all thank you
3: thank you mark take care mark Oz geist member of the annex security team that fought in the Battle of Benghazi. Joining us from Canada, where he's up there doing some great work as well. Get your tickets, BentonCountyGOP.com, for next Friday night, June 28th. The Lincoln Day Dinner, to hear Mark Osgeist talk about what happened over the course of those two days, certainly in a lot more detail than uh, we dove into today. But the full story, you'll get it. From the lips of a man who was down with the boots on the ground, Mark Osgeist, back with more of the bottom line for this.
0: The bottom line, the only place that cares what you think. Call in now, 509-547-1610. Presented by McCary Meats in Basin City.
3: Bottom line, News radio 610-KONA. 547-1610, you want to get involved in the show, also via email, 610kona.com. Bottom line page name where you're listening, what you'd like to say, and also on Twitter at bottom line six ten. Um, you know, we hear <clears throat> if I were to if I were to describe for you, you were to tell me a group that says that they they advocate for women, they advocate for victims, they advocate for the disabled, they advocate for the weak, they advocate for those who have a hard time protecting themselves. Who would you think I'm talking about? The Justice League? Well, if Batman was real, you would be right. Superman, too, and Wonder Woman. Yeah. And one, so, yeah. Who would you think I'm talking about, based on, based on those talking points?
2: Well, I think you want me to say the Democratic Party. But to set you up properly. So I'll I would, say
3: Democratic Party. I would lean in that direction as well, because they seem to be all great talking points. But yet, for some reason, when we hear those talking points in Washington state, and then we hear stories like this, it makes you wonder. Currently, um, law enforcement in the state are looking for a guy by the name of Francisco Carranza Ramirez. He was released from jail last Thursday. He served less than a year in prison. Okay, well, what could he have done so bad that he served less than a year in prison? How about the fact that he, dis- he on two separate occasions, within a couple days of each other, raped a disabled woman? He raped a disabled woman and got less than a year in jail. He even got time served while he was incarcerated during the proceedings. Back in October, he was charged with third-degree rape, and he pled guilty. Pled guilty. He lured the woman and... I believe her child, it was as well, her two-year-old son, yep, lured them with a ride home after meeting them that same day back in September of last year. Worked his way into her apartment, raped her. Two days later, showed up to her apartment and raped her again. Okay? Why are they looking for him? Because he got out of jail and immediately went after the woman. The same woman who... Was victimized by this guy. No question. Still, more than likely, dealing with what happened to her. Not once, but twice. Believes this guy's going to be in jail. And then all of a sudden, shows up. Confronts her. Tracks her down. Attacks this woman, who was partially paralyzed, she suffered cuts and bruises, had a seizure, got a concussion after he strangled her and hit her in the head. He had nine months for raping her twice. Nine months for raping her twice. You think we need a change in sentencing guidelines? How did he get a year?
2: Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, you know, I guess I, I, I hear you and I hear the story. And absolutely, in this case, the sentencing guidelines weren't good enough, you know, in this case. I'm going to play devil's advocate, though, with you. How do you play devil's advocate with a convicted multiple rapist? I'm playing devil's advocate with the thought and the push that judges should have more leeway in sentencing guidelines because careful what you wish for. If you get. A left-leaning judge, oh, wait, I'm sorry, judges aren't supposed to be left or right. Yeah, they
3: just... Wait, wait, you just said if you get a left-leaning judge in Washington State. Right, which you... On the west side, King County. Okay, well, any just about any county.
2: Uh, You could get a left-leaning judge in Spokane County. Um, Would you prefer I say when you get a left-leaning judge? Do you want a left-leaning judge to have the same authority to go after people with a political agenda behind them. There is no doubt in this case that, I mean, I, 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 everyone I think is on board that, that this is a horrific matter. The problem is, let's look at the other side of the argument. And the other side of the argument is, if we allow judges— who are elected, we all know that are, even though they're nonpartisan positions, they are partisan. We need to be careful what we wish for. We get, we get a, a left leaning judge who gets a case of somebody, you know, and wants to throw the book at them because they're right leaning and they have the ability to do that, then everyone's going to be screaming for that.
3: Here's the worst part about this, okay? How he was not charged with first-degree rape is shocking, okay? Here's third-degree rape. This, this is what third-degree rape is in Washington State, okay? Obviously, circumstances in first or second aren't met. Purported rapes where there's threats of significant unlawful harm to property rights may qualify as this level of offense. It's a Class C felony, punishable up to five years in prison. $10,000. It's simply sexual intercourse with others who don't consent may face charges of rape in the third degree. Up to five years, he gets a year. Okay? Here's second degree. When purported victims are mentally incapacitated, physically helpless, or vulnerable or frail adults, people may be charged with second degree. She's partially paralyzed. So that immediately sounds like second degree. Okay. Right off the bat. Do you, let okay? me, let Class me... A felony... Punishable, same as first degree, um, where at a maximum term of life in prison or be fined up to 50, additionally fined up to $50,000. Here's first degree. First degree is when an individual is the alleged, uh, the uh, perpetrator kidnapped the victim used or threatened to use a deadly weapon, suffered a serious physical injury. People illegally entered a building or vehicle where the purported victims were prior to alleged sexual assaults may also qualify as first-degree rape, or if the individual was a previous victim of a sexual assault. He forced his way into her apartment the second time around, after he raped her the first time, and this guy doesn't get first-degree rape? What the hell is wrong in this state? Oh, wait, I'm sorry. It's King County. It's King County. Wait, hang on. I'm sorry. Okay, everything's now making sense again. It happened
2: in King County. Can I ask a question? Go right ahead. It might throw water on things. Was
3: okay. there a plea agreement? Oh, he pled guilty to third. Yeah, he pled Okay, third, but here's the thing. How in God's name does a prosecutor allow this to plead third degree? Okay, in rape. That's different. And get a year.
2: That's different than the sentencing guidelines. What we're talking about is is the gamesmanship that goes on, and it goes on every single day in every single county. It's probably going on at this moment here locally, don't know, where prosecutors would rather get a conviction, even if it's at a lower level, than risk getting nothing if it goes to trial. So that's where this gamesmanship, and that's why I ask. So is it on the judge or is it on the prosecutor who allowed the plea deal to go through? Oh, it's on both. Okay. The the judge Well the sentencing guidelines that, that that's the, the prosecutor has, has nothing to do with sentencing guidelines. Oh, you're that's, right. that's all the judge. judge but does. that's why I'm asking because I think it's an important piece of the puzzle here.
3: Here's the other aspect. The judge doesn't have to accept the agreement. That's true. You're correct. Okay. Judge doesn't have to accept the agreement. But they so, all do. So whoever this judge is, and in order to get a plea, you have to turn around and and admit what you did and lay out in detail what it was that you did. So a judge that's listening to this, instead of even giving him the maximum of five years, doesn't turn out we we wait, hang on, say, so you did what? You you, wait, you went back two days later? Forced yourself into an apartment and raped a paralyzed woman again? And this is a class three?
2: You're up on the bottom line, News Radio 610 KONA. Who's this? Where are you calling from?
1: It's Bernie from Kennewick.
2: Hi, Bernie. What's on your mind?
1: Well, it would be interesting to hear the audio transcripts of that file, especially when the judge did the sentencing part. And just could be one of those judges that. Should be disbarred.
3: I'll tell you what, Bernie. I hope in that audio we don't hear him talk about what a heinous crime it was, and you're going to get a year in jail. Oh, with three months already served, you're going to get out in nine. And then the guy immediately goes, ignores the restraining order, ignores everything else involved, and goes after this woman. So now he's being sought. He's not in custody again. No, they're They're looking looking for for him. Okay. He's now facing assault in the second degree, felony harassment, intimidating a witness, felony violation of a sexual protection order, and sentence multipliers due to reoffending only days after leaving jail attached to every charge. You know what? If he's lucky in King County, he'll get a couple weeks.
2: 547 1610. We're going to take a timeout, give you a chance to get on board with us. 509 547 1610 can email us by going to the website, 610kona.com.
0: not get in by phone. Give us your bottom line through email. Send your thoughts from the bottom line's page at 610kona.com. Back to the bottom line. Presented by Macari Meets in Basin City.
3: Back at the bottom line, News Radio 610 O N A. Robinette hanging with you 547-1610 if you would like to get involved in the program and uh you know i i i i'm at a loss because the same people who claim that they advocate for victims and for the helpless and for those that can't defend themselves are also the same people that are pushing to Reduce sentences on violent offenders, release people early, get them back into the community, and it's a little bit of an oxymoron, Um, particularly with the situation that we're talking about with a 35-year-old guy who was sentenced to a year in jail for raping a woman twice gets out and immediately tracks the same woman down, assaults her physically. The woman is paralyzed, partially paralyzed, gives her a concussion, she suffers a seizure, and then he takes off. So whoever it was that thought a year instead of the maximum of five was a good idea... I, I, I don't even want to begin to speculate on the additional trauma this woman is suffering. As a result of, again, the third time now being assaulted by the same guy, the first two times rape, this time strangles her, gives her a concussion, She results, which she then has a seizure. Her worst nightmare comes true in less than a year. Now he goes on the lam. I would love... For the judge to have to sit down in front of this woman and explain to her why he thought one year was a great idea. I would like the prosecutor in King County to sit down with this woman and explain to her why he accepted a plea deal on third degree rape instead of mitigating circumstances that could have gotten him first degree rape. Second at the least. Thought that comes into
2: my head is, remember, this judge is elected. Now, unfortunately, we can't vote for this particular judge. But could one way, if the community there is outraged, either not reelect this person or recall them or... Do we, want to, do we want to hold judges accountable by being able to punish them when they don't do something you know that, that causes more harm than good, like in this case? Again, though, I play devil's advocate. If you open up that, then you could let in some more bad two one of the reasons that there are sentencing guidelines in the first place across the country is because judges were not weren't being fair according to the public when it came to sentencing either sentencing too low or too high you know and so there that's why states have sentencing guidelines now if you want to talk about you know, the, the attorneys that were wheeling and dealing, getting this crime down to third degree, I think they're culpable too. But I guess my question is, what's the answer? Is there a good answer that won't again cause more harm than good? Five four seven one six ten is the number. Five oh nine five four seven one six ten. But here's the problem.
3: There already was an ability. For this guy, this judge, to work within a frame, because it's a maximum of five years. Mm-hmm. He thought one year, or she thought one year, whoever it was. Probably on the low end of the scale, I would assume, yes.
2: Uh,
1: it
3: doesn't get much lower than a year. <laughs> well, I mean, time served.
2: It could be just time served, yeah. Which would have been, what, three months, two months?
3: Now... We got an email from Carlo Listening in Richland that said that there was an ICE detainer for him, so he could have been held until ICE picked him up. Thus, the woman wouldn't have been attacked yet again. But King County has not made a definitive statement on the individual's immigration status, and yeah, that's, we can
2: we can speculate all that, we want. That, that's but...
3: consistent with King County. Let's be honest. Yeah, but we don't we don't do we know for sure if if they're Supposedly, part of the plea agreement was he was supposed to return to Mexico. Right. The prosecutor's office. So right. Speak. The prosecutor's office didn't confirm his citizenship status, but said that his criminal history didn't specifically indicate that he was in the United States illegally. Okay. So. So they're, why they're, they're, send him back to Mexico if he wasn't in here illegally? That's the first question everybody's going to ask. Now, he could have been here on a visa program okay. and violated the terms of that visa program by committing okay. a crime. Could have been going so, so it could have so been. whose
2: job is it to follow up on such things?
3: That would be uh, the local authorities, and then contacting ICE if that's the case. Okay, but if you're a sanctuary area, then you're not
2: going to talk to absolutely, him.
3: Absolutely, there you go. So once again, whether there was a detainer out
2: on him or not, if if a judge rules, that's my question. Is I don't know if a judge rules that you are. To return to your country, even if there's a question of whether you're here illegally or not, whose responsibility is it to make sure that that individual follows through? Nobody?
3: Well, considering that, that they made that statement, not specifically indicating he was in the U.S. legally, leads one to believe that he may have been here on a particular program and... He violated the terms of that program by committing the crime. Thus being deported. Thus being deported. So he could have been here legally under the terms of the program, violate the terms of the program. Now you contact ICE. But somebody in King County let him go. Let him walk without letting, either verifying with ICE or verifying with anybody, and he goes and assaults this woman again. See, to me, these are the situations, exactly like we talked about before where individuals involved in situations like this should be held accountable. This woman's life, you can argue, has been ruined because somebody didn't want to hang on to this guy a little bit longer.